Welcome to Radius. Hate to break up the party. So I survived it last week. I, uh, my baby girl got married on Saturday, and it was crazy. Yeah, thank you. The ladies always appreciate that. That's good. <laughs> See, uh, it was a... Uh, it was surreal as, as the old man in the, in, in the wedding um, to walk her down the aisle was one of the weirder moments of my life. Uh, we hid behind uh, a Toyota Tacoma because it was an outdoor wedding, and, and finally she, it was time. The music came on, and it was an outdoor pavilion, so we, we started walking, and I found myself. I've done, I don't know, 100 weddings. I've done a lot of weddings. I've never been in that spot, and we're walking down the aisle, and I found myself lost, like I didn't know what I was doing. Everybody stands up, and Mariah is dominating the show at this point. Everybody's looking at her. Clearly, nobody's looking at me, and, and I'm like in a hurry to get to the front. She kept tugging on my arm because you're like, Daddy, you're going too fast. You're going too fast, and she would whisper, and I, I should, of all people, be relaxed. I've done this over and over and over, but it was, ah, it was cool. It was cool to... Uh, to walk in somebody that we've built, that Cheryl and I have built, and to let her beauty steal the show. That was my girl. And I knew she was beautiful before Timmy ever knew she was beautiful, right? I knew, knew it before all these people knew it. It was just this, this surreal moment. I did good. Some of y'all, I, I'm not even swole up. I barely cried. <laughs> we did a father-daughter dance, and she played this song that I've thought about every time I, first time I heard it on the radio, I thought, that's my girl. It's, it's, called, it's, Amer- it's a country song called American Beauty. And, and as soon as, I mean, American Honey. And as soon as it came on, I was like, oh, I can't hold it anymore. So I cried like the whole dance. Other than that, <laughs> pretty pitiful. But uh, it was really cool. Here's what stood out to me, watching, watching my little girl, was uh, when she came in, her beauty humbled people. It's one of the cool things God's given to you ladies. He's given you this something that clearly the guys in the room don't have. Uh, but particularly at that stage of your life, when you come into, a, uh, into your wedding, there's this you're, you're the star of the show and your beauty, it, it just kind of dominates everything. And to watch Timmy down at the end, him be kind of caught off guard just a little bit by our beauty. And, and I've, I've seen this for years, but, but it, was, uh, it was really fun to watch how that, how that causes people to react. I've been down at Creekside. I've seen it happen before when she's wearing shorts and a, and a T-shirt, because last time I took her to Creekside for breakfast, they looked at me like I couldn't be her father. <laughs> they've seen me eat there, and they've seen her eat there separately, and they're like, this is your daughter? I'm like, yeah, you got a problem with that? I mean, like, wait, that, they couldn't connect the dots between this and that. I don't understand. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was just cool. I, there's one picture that caught her walking down the aisle, and Timmy's looking back at her, and she's celebrating after the wedding, and he's got this look. It was just a cool picture of, of uh, just celebration and joy and yet, it's just odd to have somebody you're related to be that stunning. It was, it was terrific. One of the crazy things I watched was anything she did, everybody else followed. Like after, after I pronounced the man and wife, she took her, 
whatever that thing is with all the flowers they carry, and, and she threw it up in the air like this, like, like it was a party, and then everybody cheered like, like they were just going to follow her because it, not only it was her day, but she just demanded it through leadership. It, it was weird, and it's funny. You get, she would get around some people, and they would look a little awkward, like, what do I do with this woman because of her beauty? It was just a, it was a weird thing to watch as a dad. Some of y'all are going to get there, and you can come talk to me about it when you get there. But it was a thrill. At the end of the day, Cheryl and I uh, were humbled by the joy of that day. L- let me read to you just a little simple verse that I found in Revelation because this is the first time I've ever done that, and it'll be the last time. It's Revelation 21, 2, and God is giving a guy named John, the same guy that wrote our book, John, a vision, and John is writing down the vision, and he sees the new Jerusalem coming and being established. And here's what he says. I saw the holy city, city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So he takes the metaphor of of a wedding and he says, "When, when it's all made right again, when everything's made right and we take away all the brokenness, all you gotta do is flip on the news this morning, you can see it. It's overwhelming, the darkness, the brokenness of our world. When it's all made right, it's going to look like this new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, like like unparalleled to everything else in this universe. I want to take some time today, and I want to talk, which is rare for me, I want to talk about the beauty of Jesus. Now, for the guys in the room, that's, we're not talking about blue-eyed Jesus. We're talking about the beauty in such a way that he awes us, that he humbles us by his sheer presence. So let me speak to him, and then I want to read to you a couple verses out of John. We'll keep learning from this book. Jesus, I've thought about this for days now. I pray that you'd make sense of it. Lord, all I'm going to do is read statements that you made about yourself as you dropped them on your disciples and on all the people around, and some believed and some didn't. I pray today again that you would drop these statements about yourself on us. You'd help us wrestle with them, and they would would find their way deep into us and create even change in us and hope and joy and peace. Help us as we read your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been going through this book of John. We come to this statement that Jesus makes in John chapter 8. Here's what he says. Jesus spoke to the people once more, and he said, very simple statement. If you grow up in church, you probably heard it. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. What does that mean? If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees heard this, and you just need to understand that. That was a simple statement. John chapter 8, verse 12, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness, because you will have the light that leads to life, and it deeply offended the religious folks. You're making these claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. And Jesus told them, these claims are valid, even though I make them about myself. For I... If, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards, 
but I don't judge anyone. Interesting statement. It's an encouraging statement even to me. Jesus speaks to the most elite, religious, best-looking, best-behaved folks, and he just says, hey, bro, you, you don't know where I come from. You don't get this. It's over your head. And, here's what, and at the end of it, he doesn't even judge me. I don't come to judge. You judge me on human standards, which, you know, really just aren't valid because I am God. So when he made this statement, I am the light of the world, he's making a, a huge statement. He's identifying himself as the source of all beauty, of all power. And these guys pick up on it immediately. They're offended to the core because then he demands that we follow him. He says, uh, I am the light of the world. At this time, he's, he's in the temple, and it's the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. And, and oftentimes at the Feast of Tabernacles, the, uh, the priests would take all their old garments and they'd tear them into pieces. And they had these lamps. They were, it was right outside of the treasury, which you can see if you read through the chapter a little bit. Right outside the treasury, there's this little court called the women's court. And evidently, Jesus was teaching somewhere right in that little area. And in that court, during the Feast of Tabernacles, they would light these lamps that were, that were, that were dipped in uh, a fuel. And they'd light them up and it would just light up the whole area. And so oftentimes, folks would gather there at night, which in, in that culture, there isn't any electricity. They'd light these huge torches, these huge lamps, and folks would gather and dance and worship before God. It was just a place of unbelievable freedom because at night, it was lit, and you could come in, and you could celebrate God, Yahweh, right there in the temple. And so Jesus is teaching this right here with this real illustration right up above him, and he says, I am the light of the world. You got to feel this freedom and beauty that he's speaking about himself with. I think I, I, I sketch out a little bit whenever I call Jesus beautiful because I think sometimes in our church today we, we made Jesus not very powerful. But when I think of light, I can't help but think of beauty. There's no other way for me to really process it. When I think of my daughter walking in the room on her wedding, and I've seen many of y'all walk in the room at your wedding, you light up the room. That's what we say. You come in, your beauty, it lights up the room. There's an awe factor about it that stuns everybody. And you feel that when you, when you see this Jesus that walks the earth. But we read Isaiah 53, and we find out he really wasn't that good looking of a guy. He doesn't look anything like the pictures that we often hang up with the nice, pretty blue eyes. He's just a regular, average at best, probably below average looking guy who worked hard with his hands, so he probably had a good handshake. He's just a regular guy, but he lit this world up and to the point where he would claim with a capital L, I am the light of the world. I don't know if you remember this. At the end of John, it's one of my favorite things when they come to arrest Jesus. When I was a kid, I was, always, I was always enjoyed when they got to this point. They come to arrest Jesus, so you got soldiers all lined up. Judas is there to betray him, and the disciples are all around him, and it's like this moment, this awkward moment where they're coming to arrest God, which is not easy to do. And Jesus fully realized, it says, this is chapter 18, verse 4, Jesus fully realized that uh, all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them, and he says, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. So you got this quick little exchange. 
And then he says, I am he. That's all he says. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And Jesus said, I am he. And they all drew back and fell to the ground. So there's this moment. I don't know how it worked. It's probably a little bit like Cam Newton, except there was actually some super, there was some beyond this world stuff. You can just imagine Jesus saying, they said, who are you? And he says, are you Jesus of Nazarene? He says, yes, I am he. And just gives them a little glimpse of him being the light of the world. Little glimpse of his unbelievable power and beauty. And, and with that little glimpse, I don't know, you can do it up here with the face if you want. That little glimpse, all these soldiers back up and fall down. It's, it's a hilarious scene if you, if you kind of review it because then they get up and arrest him. I'm going, bro, I'm going to tell you what I would have done. I would have shown you my 410 speed, right? I would have been out of here. I, if, if the guy shows his glory and his power and he just gives you a little glimpse of being God, that he's the light of the world and it knocks you on your tail, you better run because he ain't even showed you something. He closed it right back up. He shows his glory just for a moment and you can't stand in front of it. There's verse after verse, Old Testament and New, which speaks of God's glory that is so spellbounding, it is impossible to stand in his presence when he fully shows us who he is. That's the light of the world. That's the Jesus I claim to have a relationship. One who, when Moses spent a little time on the mountain, right, in the presence of God, comes down and he is shining so brightly, even though he never completely saw God, he's shining so brightly that the people have to veil his face because this God is full of light. He's the light of the world. Back in the day, they used to uh, make these confessions. It probably wouldn't be a bad practice for us. It wasn't scripture, but they would have these confessions and they would... Uh, they would make them so that a church could memorize them so that they would have their doctrine straight and you would keep your minds on right and I would keep mine on right. And, and so there's this catechism. They call them catechisms, which is just a fun word to say, I guess. But uh, uh, there's one, it's called the Westminster Catechism. And then they made what they call the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which I'm all down with the shorter catechisms, right? Because I'm not the greatest memory guy, but here's what it says. The Westminster Shorter, Shorter Catechism, I actually heard Chandler talk about this, this this week. He said, it's the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Just simplifying life. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So what does it mean, the chief end of man? I mean, why do we exist? The whole reason we exist is the glorified God. Can you add any glory to the God who just pulls it back and knocks? No, you can't add any glory. If we worship well today, God's not going to be more glorified. He's, he's the ultimate glorified being. He, it, there's nothing we can add to it, but there does seem to be this possibility that we can expose his glory, that we can uncover it for others and for ourselves and enjoy his glory. And then in his glory, as the Westminster uh, Confession states, we can enjoy him forever. There's this potential with all that greatness that there could be this great dance that we could enjoy with Jesus, the God of the universe. Part of my job pre-wedding, which by the way, man, these weddings, that's work. I'll work for three days, right? So it helped me not cry too much because I had to go back to work. 
we, I had to hang the lights over the dance floor. They're, they're like these cool little big bulbs. And I don't think any of y'all skilled fellas in here could have done what I did, just so you know. Because I went to Walmart, and I bought $2 extension cords, and I wrapped it around the ductwork, and I plugged them all into one plug, which I'm pretty sure is illegal in most states. I plugged them all into one plug, and, and I tried to space them by the length of my arms, so they were very accurately spaced. And, and then I, I bought 100 zip ties, and I used about 82 of them, and it worked. It was, it was great. And so I hung all these lights, and then... When, when the time came and they turned on the music and once we got through the, the, uh, the daughter-daddy dance and, and the groom and his mom dance, which was, was really cool even to see uh, Miss Lovett dance with Timmy. It was, just this, it was just a cool scene. But then everybody came out there and danced and there was this freedom that came from my lights with my $18 extension cord. I was kind of trying to watch people dance, but I kept on thinking, man, them some cool lights. <laughs> Does anybody know that? By the way, I, I can't tell you how I rigged it. I was so proud of it. Cheryl's like, this is ridiculous. But anyway, I had this great time watching my lights give freedom to the dance floor because you could see who was there and they danced. And, and, and one of the things about dancing that's just weird to me because I got none of it in, in these bones of mine is just how people, you have to be free to do it, right? When we did the father-daughter dance, I just kind of, I tried to rock back and forth. My knees just don't work. They just, but these folks, they were clearly free, all right? And I took full credit because I lit the floor so they could dance. There's this freedom that comes that is hard to explain when we really know why we're here. When we understand that Jesus is the light of the world, and as the catechism says, that the chief end, the whole reason I exist is to expose his glory. And then there's this possibility that I would then enjoy him, not only now, but forever. You got that clarity in your life? I had this moment at the wedding, which was, it was just this weird moment for a father, when it was all over, I, I had this moment where I thought, someone who doesn't know Jesus can never have the experience I just had. They can love their daughter, and they can have this beautiful wedding, and, and they can have all the celebration of it. But they can never enjoy this thing at, at multiple dimensions like I did. They couldn't have this wedding and see God in it, enjoy God in it, and have this deeper level of understanding made me sad for my friends that don't know Jesus, who love their daughters like I love my daughter. I want them to be able to have that thing in the full. Sometimes I think we, we, we think that we're missing out because of our morality as believers. But when you think about Jesus being the light of the world, the ultimate reason for living, it's, there's, we're not missing out on anything. We're actually fully taking in what's going on. I want that for you. I want to keep having it. He's beautiful. He gives us freedom to dance. I, other thing I, I started noting about leadership as I watched my daughter lead a little bit with her celebration and people captured by her beauty, she, they all followed her because it was her day. But I, I think anytime you think about light, you think about leadership. So if you go into the dark woods, what do you want? A flashlight. Back in the day, you want a lantern. You want to be able to see. You want something to guide you. And so you almost you submit to the light because it makes the way clear. 
It helps you see what's dangerous. It, it leads. Jesus uh, says right here in this passage, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in the dark, in the darkness, because you will have light that leads to life. If you'll get behind me, the light of the world, you won't have to walk in darkness. You won't have to be lost. You can follow the light that leads to life. There's a passage in Numbers, not a book I read from a ton. It's the fourth book of the Bible, and the people of Israel are wondering. They're beginning their time out of Egypt, and they're wondering, and he, God does this really crazy thing. I don't know if you've ever read this. I hope I don't lose you with it, but I want to read it to you. On the day the tabernacle was set up, and a cloud covered it. But from evening until morning, the cloud over the tabernacle looked like a pillar of fire. So all night long, wherever the Israelites were, and it says that 600,000 men left Egypt, and they're on their way to the promised land. Wherever they were, there was either a cloud during the day. They called it a pillar, a, a, a pillar of clouds. There, there's this for them to follow, and, and at the nighttime, it was a pillar of fire, which I, I can't hardly imagine in my head. I don't know how bright it was, but it, it was with them all the time, and this was the regular pattern. At night, the cloud that covered the tabernacle had the appearance of fire, and whenever the cloud lifted from over the sacred tent, the people of Israel would break camp and follow it, and it went on and on. I could read you the verses. If you want to read it later, it's, it's Numbers chapter 9, and it says that some days it'd just be one night. They'd camp, and when they'd get up, the cloud would move, and the people would move, right? And sometimes the cloud or the fire would stay for a year, and they'd stay in one spot, and they'd camp. They did not want to leave where God, God was leading them. In essence, at night, if they were going to travel at all in the darkness, the only way they would travel was to be stay with the pillar of light, of fire. At some level, that's the essence of following Jesus. Because when he says move, we move. When he says stay, we stay. A lot of times we only equate movement with following God. Sometimes movement means staying. And that's what these people did. All the way through, as they, as they traveled, they had God with them. And any time he moved, they moved. And there's the Deep question for all of us, do you really believe he's the light of the world? When was the last time he moved and you didn't move? Are you still there and is he over here? Is that why you've lost rest? Is that why you don't feel free anymore because God moved and he asked you to follow and you, you wouldn't follow? I like to picture a little bit of the light, little night light or the, or the light beside my bed and, and the opportunity to read this and it to guide me, to have time in this and spend time in here. And what often happens, even when I'm reading the narrative, just, just things that Jesus did, I'll feel like I need to, anybody else like this? I'll be reading the Bible, and I'll feel like I need to do something. And it seems like almost as if there's some, it's, not, it's kind of a feeling. It's, it's, it's something kind of more than 3D, maybe 4D. There's something in me that pushes me as I read God's Word to go do something. And, and the question is, will I follow him. It's one thing to see it. It's another thing to move on it because light is full of leadership. If you don't follow the light, there's no freedom. And if you don't submit to the light and the light ends up pulling away from you and you open the word and you're sitting in your bedroom, and you're like, why is it? Because he's not illuminating the pages anymore. They end up just being words on a page instead of God speaking. So for everybody in the room, 
There's this constant submission to the light. And where does he expect for me to go? Because I've got to go wherever he, he asks. That is the core of Christianity. The other cool thing about the light is the light just kind of helps you relax. Anybody got a nightlight still? You're 71 and you still got a nightlight in your room, right? I mean, I like having a nightlight in the bathroom so I don't bang my knee on the daggum counter when I walk in there because I'm a little klutzy at night. And the older you get, the more trips you have to make. Everybody knows that. So a little light in there is great because now I can see where I'm going. It exposes everything, it exposes the pitfalls so I could see what might take me off guard. There's, it, it actually relaxes me. Oftentimes you leave on the front light at night when you're fearful because you want somebody to know you're at home. You don't want the bad guy to come. If you're really fearful, you leave multiple lights. You go out of town, you put your lights on a timer because it exposes things. You don't want, bad guys don't want to be seen so they like to move in the darkness. It relaxes us. It protects us. Let me just say this about the light of the world. Nothing is hidden from the light of the world. You can't get in the shadows. There's nowhere to hide. I'll read to you a psalm. David writes Psalm 139, verse 11 and 12. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you, capital Y. To you, the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. David speaking to God, there's nowhere for me to hide when you're looking at me. I can hide stuff from people. That ain't real complicated, right? I can hide stuff from my friends. I can even hide stuff from my family when I want to. Because we're gifted that way. We like to slide stuff in the darkness so other people will think of us otherwise. But David's saying about God, and I'll say about God, there's nowhere to hide from God. Now let me just say this to you today, and hear me, please. Man, if you think you're hiding something from God, it's already exposed. He's the light of the world. You haven't met God yet. He's already exposed all your sin. He knows all of your shortcomings. If for some reason you sit in here and you don't think you're worthy to come to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness, he already knows all your stuff. And he's still offering. He still wants you to follow him. He's the light of the world, so you will follow. If you're a believer and you've kind of got caught up in this thing, this church thing, which teaches us to hide all of our garbage and never expose it, bro, you got to break loose. That's a horrible way to lead, live. Take your stuff. Take it today. We're going to sing in a minute. Don't sing. And confess your sin to God. Put it out in front of him. He already sees it. Ain't, you ain't going to surprise him. And nothing you can say, nothing, nothing that's beyond his comprehension. And, and put it out in front of him. It's killing you. He's the light of the world. There's freedom and rest. All you have to do is acknowledge that he's already exposed all your shortcomings. So at the Reeves family, we, uh, we're a spank-a-lot, hug-a-lot family. So I don't know what our modern world thinks about that, but that's what happens. We're kind of outgrowing the spank-a-lot. But back in the day, you could get there pretty quick if you disobeyed your mama then I'm going to get you. That's just how, if it was a direct disobedience to your mom, like a rebellious moment. Now, they're going to do stupid stuff, and that doesn't always mean 
a bad moment with your daddy, but, but if they directly oppose their mom, then I'm going to get you. But the other thing, and everybody in my family, you can feel them clench up when the little four-year-old lies to me. Because when the four-year-old lies at the table, the older siblings are like, oh, no. <laughs> they, their faces make, make, and I'm like, grab them by the arm. I'm not talking about swinging around, grab them by the arm. There's, there's a, you know, this, there's this place where some of this is really poorly executed. And guys think they're being disciplinarians, but really they're just dominating their kids. And they provoke their kids. That's not what we're talking about. But, but there's an authority where I, I usually grab my son by the arm and we walk out the door and we go back in the room. And we have this discussion where he denied, denied, denies, right? Until because I'm 48 and he's four, I win the argument and he finally confesses under pressure. And then usually there's, there's discipline. You know why? I always tell him this. You're going to destroy my family. And I love you and I love your brothers and I love your sister. I love your mom. And if we allow lying in our home, it'll undermine everything we got. It's like the worst thing for our family. When we start lying to each other because now we're hiding stuff and we can't help each other. We're constantly hiding stuff, trying to be something that we're not. So we're not operating as a family. We can't help each other. And, and usually we have this. Usually tears are already coming because my, my four-year-old doesn't want to lose the family. He knows better than that, even at that age. Let me tell you something, dads, in the room, you got to fight for the truth in your homes. Like with everything you got, which means some discipline, but it also means some forgiveness it means that how you handle yourself when bad news comes to you, it's a big deal. Sometimes that, there's immediate forgiveness and there's not always discipline. But there's this constant battling to keep the truth on the table, to have nothing hidden because hidden stuff blows up families. We all know it. We all got friends. Many of you have experienced the hidden stuff. It blows up families. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He brings health to families. He exposes all the stuff so we know who each other is, so we can live with each other honestly. There's a bunch of stuff hidden in our room right now. If it's hidden from God, let's just start. We're going to sing in a few minutes, then put it out there in front of him. But you probably need to tell somebody. You probably need to tell somebody in the room. There'll be some folks in here that uh, have some deep bitterness that just when I say the word, you could feel it. And you just need to tell God you're sorry. You're not, you're not excusing whoever hurt you, but that bitterness is eating you away from the inside. And until you get that off of you and give it to the God, the light of this world, Maybe give it to a friend who knows the light of this world. Then it's going to continue to own you. There's some folks in this room having emotional affairs right now at work. Happens all the time. We got a lot of people at this church. Happens all the time. Today's the day to put it out there before God, to grab a dude or a lady that you trust here and put it out in the light. Let's get it dealt with. Keep tucking it away. That stuff's going to eat you up. It's going to destroy what you got. There's some kids in our room right now. You got something that you ain't told your parents yet. I did it. 
My kids have done it. I can still remember me, that bride that I married off. One day I caught her in a lie. She was about 15. We were sitting in the car, and she just exploded in tears because I called out something she was doing. And, and she, it was like this freedom that I gave her by exposing this thing she had hidden in her life. And we, she cried and cried in my car, and I reached over. It wasn't a moment for discipline. Dads, it was a moment to put my hand on hers. And almost cry with her. I didn't quite get that. But she was out of control in tears because she disappointed me. She knew it. it was just this beautiful moment for me as a father to console a daughter who had been caught. Let me just say this. When you get caught in sin, it feels horrible at the moment, but it's a freedom moment. It's a moment for you to go the other way. And so now she and I are open, our dialogue's open again. Somebody that she loved deeply, she'd hidden stuff from. And so this thing that used to be beautiful was broken because she lied. She hid stuff. So kids, it doesn't matter what age you are. This is just a moment. But look inside. Every marriage begins to struggle when stuff's hidden. It doesn't matter whether it's a financial thing, something like porn. It seems to dominate our, our, our culture. These daggum phones and iPads where we can kind of live isolated even, even by just turning it like this to my spouse, even if nothing bad's on it. I can just disappear into isolation and separate myself from the rest of the family. They, they have tons of good purposes. I'm not like throwing them under the bus. I'm just trying to raise the flag. If we want healthy, we got to accept light, and we're ultimately ex- putting ourselves under the authority of the light of the world, and we're letting our stuff be exposed so that we can get some healing. Did you hear me say, tell someone? All right, then I'll stop giving illustrations because it'll be a great exercise. You make somebody in this room that really you think is godly, you'll make them really happy, and they'll carry that weight with you because they want you to be healthy. There's a bunch more. Let me just read you one more verse. Jesus comes out, of, they call it a discourse. If you're a theologian, they love calling stuff things. And this is chapter 8, and so they call it the light of the world discourse. And there's this dialogue that just goes on and on between Jesus and, and the Pharisees where he just continues to teach everybody that he's the Son of God. And John, through his writing, continues to argue that you need to believe in the Son of God because of his power. So chapter 9, he just builds right on top of it. It, It's as if Jesus walks out the door from this discourse, and he walks out and he looks for a blind man because no better way to illustrate that I'm the light of the world than to give somebody who has darkness in his eyes light. Check it out. Jesus was walking along, and he saw a man who had been blind from birth. The disciples who are brilliant like us ask him questions. Rabbi, why is this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It's got to be somebody's fault. He can't just have been born blind. It's not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in this world, I am the light of the world. And in a moment, he spit on the ground. So for some of y'all germaphobes, this would have been a rough miracle. You've been like, I don't know if I want to see or I want to touch that germ. Um, So you'd have to get over it. He spit on the ground and he made mud with his saliva. How about that? Saliva in the Bible. With his saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. 
So the man went and he washed and he came back seen. And this, this narrative is awesome. I don't have time to get into it. Go home and read it because the religious folks get all on the blind man. He goes, man, I don't know who he was. This is what I know. I talked to him and he made me see. I know this much. He made a man who was in darkness able to see. He brought light into a man's life who had never experienced light. The very end of the chapter is pretty cool dialogue. I have to skip a bunch of, the, bunch of it. And the man answers, who is he, sir? He's asking Jesus. Do you believe in the Son of Man, Jesus says, and he says, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. Jesus said, you've seen him, and he's speaking to you. And then the blind man said, yes, Lord, I believe. The verses go on, and Jesus told him, I entered the world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. That's what he's doing today. He's doing that for us today. You may have come in the room thinking you can see, but just by hearing what Jesus said, you might know that you're really blind. Here's the good news. He came to give you sight. He wants you to be able to see. It's a free offer. He did all the work, and we remember it every week by having communion in the back. We constantly want to remember that his body was broken, the bread breaks, and that his blood was shed so that I would no longer have to live in darkness so that I could see. When I was reading this thing, I kept humming the song in my, in my, uh, in my head because it's dangerous for me to hum out loud. Somebody might hear. Uh, this little light of mine. Anybody grow up in church and heard this little song? This little light of mine. Anyway, I, I, I'm going to go in. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. M- remember that song? There's, there's this, even in that passage where Jesus says, while I'm here, I'm the light of the world. There seems to be this ant- anticipation that he's going to commission some folks, and he's going to commission you as the light of the world. Not the capital L, that's a little more like a loser, light, not the capital L, light of the world, but the small L, the little, I love that about the song, this little light of mine. It's really small. It's not super significant, but I've been, I've been tasked as an ambassador for Jesus, and I have this little light that I'm supposed to sign shine in this world. I'm not supposed to let the bushel cover it up so nobody can see. I'm supposed to let my light shine. I read Colossians. It was a, the verse of the day one day this week. Here's what it says. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious, check this out, and attractive so that they will have the right response, so that you will have the right response for everybody. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everybody. Got to the dance at the, at the wedding. Got my daddy-daughter dance in, and then, then you'll you have to do this someday. A lot of y'all, I see a lot of young parents out. You got to work the room, which stinks because you want to see your baby girl. And you work in the room because all these people drove all this way to see your wedding. So Cheryl's working one side of the room, and I'm working the other. And Cheryl looked hot. I'm going to go ahead and say she looked hot. And she's working the room on the other side. And every once in a while, I would look up, and I'd see my bride, my bride, not my kid, my bride. And uh, it would put a little lump in my throat. 
I think Mariah got it started with his American honey junk, but I could not stop. Every time I'd look across the room and I'd see my bride work in the room, I just moved, and here's why. Because when we, we met, we knew Jesus, and we, we decided as a married couple that we wanted to be a light to this world. And here we are at our daughter's wedding. We said that we want to raise our kids in the world, but not of the world. And I see my wife work in the room. There was a variety of folks there, some that knew Jesus well and loved us deeply. Some of our best friends were there, which is fun. We just got to hang out, and you felt safe in them. If you don't have that, bro, I want that for you. The only way you can have that is to take your stuff and expose it to some people. Because then they know you incredibly deeply. And then when they come to your daughter's wedding, they're, they're watching it in 4D, and they're loving it with you. And I, we had 50 people in the room just like that. There was this other group of people that were believers that just enjoying the moment. And for Cheryl and I, it was fun being there and have that go on. But here was what the best part was. There was a lot of folks in our room that didn't know Jesus. Here's, here's what that meant. My baby girl picked the right kind of dude. And the two of them attracted all these folks to their wedding. They had invested, even though they were not of the world, they were being lights in the world. And these folks, some of them drove eight, nine hours to come see their wedding because they were attractive, not because they looked pretty, because God had done something in them. I looked at my bride, and I, that's what we signed up to do. And some of you young parents, it's a long ride, but I was good. And we praised them for it. 1 a.m., Camp director, we did our wedding at a camp. Camp director rings my cell phone. Evidently, there's a party in the parking lot. This is a Christian camp. Evidently, they don't like alcohol and smoking in the parking lot. So 1 a.m., and evidently, they don't want pickup trucks with the doors open with music as loud as it can go. So she says, I hear some noise in the parking lot. I'm like, oh, no. So I, I go out, and there's a, there's a party going on in the parking lot. And uh, they happen to be people that my kids invited to the wedding that we let stay, and it was amazing. It was this amazing time for me. I, I got out there at first. I'm like, I got to go to bed. I'm, I'm emotionally worn out. I'm physically worn out. These two dudes, that, these twins, they were, they were cool guys. They were all tatted up, and I had a really hard time trying to get them to go to bed, and we ended up talking for an hour under the light in the parking lot while I get to talk about the light of the world at my kid's wedding. It couldn't have got anybody. It was like the gravy on top of all the fun of the day. Is I got to share Jesus in the middle of the night after I got over my anger issues. I got to share Jesus. And these guys, we just enjoyed each other. Just the three of us standing under a light in the parking lot. That's what we signed up for. I want that for you. I was happy to have it. I got a long ways to go, but for a moment, it seemed like it might be working. Let's pray. Jesus. We just state who you are right now. You are the light of the world. There is no hope without you. We're confused and lost when we're out of relationship with you. Call on folks in this room. I know even in that passage you said, follow me. Call on people in this room that don't know you and beg them to follow you, please. And you don't need to beg anybody. You're the king. Command it. Well, you know a lot of us. We've known you for a long time. Remind us that we have to follow you, that real joy comes from being in your presence and exposing your glory to others. You're the light of the world. 
Listen to us as we worship. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. This audio is provided as a free ministry of Radius Church. If you would like to reproduce this audio, please feel free to do so. We ask that you do not charge for any reproductions that you make. If you would like to know more about Radius, please visit us online at radiuschurch.org or download our app from your app store.